begin. Are you watching closely? To begin. I just, I'm bored. Gonna start. What plaything can you offer me today? Here's the deal. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, 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 no doubt, no doubt. Okay, look. The Cock and Vol Minute. A Tristram Shandy story. A podcast in which, eventually, ostensibly, at some point, we will be talking about the 2005 film Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story, one minute at a time. Good lord, what is this story all about? Cock and a bull story. Here's your host, me, Robert Black. What was that? Was that a new introduction? Not that you're going to answer me in any way on social media or whatever, but hey, what do you think? I think it's more interesting than the old one. It includes part of the old one, obviously, but it also includes a cock and a bull. Boom. I win. Anyway, welcome. I don't think I'll be talking about Tristram Shandy today. What I want to talk to you about is Hitchcock Minute. And weirdly, Groundhog Day. Or the Groundhog Day Project, anyway. Because if you're listening to the show when it goes up, or soon thereafter, and... If you're not, you are missing the whole experience. What is wrong with you? Catch up, dude. You will not understand how much this show is wasting your time unless you let it do it. Anyway, a little recap. So you know what I'm talking about. In case this is somehow the only show you're hearing with me, Robert Black, lemmingdrops.com if you need to hear more. A recap. So, Hitchcock Minute is a group project among Movies by Minutes, podcasters, where we are each covering two weeks, ten days, ten minutes of the film. I was assigned, I guess randomly, minutes 11 through 20. That involves the scene in which Roger O. Thornhill, played by Cary Grant, is forced to drink an entire bottle of bourbon, stuck in a car on a coastal cliffside road that is supposed to be in Long Island, but is actually a weird amalgam of painting and matte shots and whatever from California, apparently. Anyway. Because he's forced to drink bourbon, I was like, I'm going to get some bourbon and take a shot before I record each episode. Thinking I was going to record each episode, like, one a day. Record the episode, edit it, put it together, record the next one. Then my schedule got changed. This was in November. I took over as a substitute, emergency substitute for an extra class, which messed with my schedule a bit. And while I was going to be recording sort of slowly at the beginning of December... I ended up recording nine of my ten episodes in one sitting in the middle of December, which is fine. Except the plan, and I went through with it, was a shot of bourbon before each episode. So first episode, one shot of bourbon, I'm doing fine. Read my notes, word for word, quotes from outside sources, stuff about the movie, recap of the minute. It's great. Then, second episode, take another shot. I'm now less than an hour in. Two shots of bourbon. Fine. But then, finish the second one. Go to the third. Third shot of bourbon. And I should note, um, the way I deal with the group projects is, I don't just host them all. I think officially I'm listed as the host of Mandy Sucks Minute for the ten minutes. But that's just one of my shows, you know? So I treated, I figured out with each minute, how am I going to approach it? Which podcaster am I? So, for example, officially by my standards, I am the host of Tristram Shandy, or Cock and Bull Minute, on these minutes 12, minutes 16, and minute 20 out of those 10. So if you're listening to this on the right day, uh, my first Tristram episode should be up for tomorrow. 
I think it even goes up tonight. Anyway, third episode, three shots in. Fourth episode, four shots in. Fifth episode is when, from my perspective, I'm the host and really sucks with it. That is, no preparation, watch the minute and start rambling. Oh, in that no preparation and rambling, I decided to talk about taking shots and to take another shot, I guess in honor of talking about taking shots. So, extra one. So, coming out of recording the fifth one, I've taken six shots of bourbon. We're inside hour and a half, two hours, I don't know. Depends on the length of the individual episodes. I think the longest one was in there, which was close to an hour. We go into 16. Take a shot. Record. Then we get to 17. Another Mandy episode. I take a shot at the beginning. I take a shot somewhere in the middle. For some reason, I take a third shot. So, I am now, when I go into 18, the shot at the beginning of the 18th episode, my 8th episode, minute 18, was not my 8th shot. There were an extra 3. It was my 11th shot. Okay. That's fine. I'm still, I got all this stuff written out ahead of time. Except for the Mandy minutes, obviously. So it's like, read this, read this, read this, correct it later. There's some weird tangents. There's some fun little things. Oh, if you're listening to those already, listen for when I swear, because we have to bleep our swears for that show. And so I would say, like, I'd screw up a line and say, oh, fuck. And then as a note to myself, for some reason, like I couldn't hear the fuck. Well, it was to make sure I did hear the fuck. Make sure I remember to bleep that fuck. I would be like, bleep fuck. And then I realized I'd said it a second time, so they twice. I kept doing this every time I'd swear. And it was mostly in those two Mandy episodes. Because they weren't scripted. I'd say, fuck or shit. Bleep shit. Twice. Or one of them I said, uh, <laughs> I think I said shit. And I said, oh fuck, I swear. And I'm like, oh bleep shit. Twice. Bleep fuck twice. <laughs> it was funny at first. And then I was doing it so many times in those unscripted episodes that I'm like, it's kind of weird. So I started just cutting out the second thing. Bleeping the first swear and cutting out the reference to it after. Maybe it would have been funnier if I kept them all. I don't know. With all of the bleeps. All of the swears bleeped. But the best swear, I think, is still in there. All the bleeped, of course. Is where I, I said, um, talking about Roger Thornhill. I'm like, um, and then fucking Thornhill is in there. So I forget the exact line. But I'm saying his name next to a swear. And I'm like, oh shit. Blame him. <laughs> bleep Thornhill. I'm like, wait, what? No, bleep. It was Roger, not Thornhill. It's his first name. Like, fucking Roger. Uh, like, bleep Roger. I'm like, no. <laughs> bleep fucking. <laughs> and I think, I hope that one's still in there. I don't even remember. I wasn't drinking when I edited the episodes, but it did take a while to edit them. And I, so I don't remember what all stayed and what came in, because it got hard to edit those toward the end. My minute 19 is different, because it was recorded out of order. Uh, there was just one shot of bourbon. It was recorded with a guest, and it was a little clearer. And then 20 goes back to the drinking in the order and so you'll hear if you listen to that show this week and next week and i hope you're listening to this show as it goes up so this week and next week hitchcock minute you will um hear what i sound like when i've been drinking although heavily edited because i pause a lot when i'm drinking i talk slowly i ramble about the meaning of things i just said i was I, in my shows we haven't gotten a minute one for this show yet, so you wouldn't know. I include the dialogue from the movie, but I often will say it along with the character. And this one, I said the guy's line. <laughs> it was some minor character, one of the cops. He's in, like, one scene. And then I said his line, I'm like, oh, I fucking nailed it. As if it was some great line that had all this emotion that was interesting. 
clinger right over here. Fuck, he nailed that line. Bleep fuck. Twice. Uh, I was having a good time. What was interesting is I immediately posted on Facebook, and we have a hosting group for the people involved in making that show, like a little private group. And I'm like, I recorded nine out of my ten today. And then a couple hours later, I'm like, wait, did I record nine? I couldn't remember recording minutes 20 or minute 18. I remembered specifically something from the end of 17. I'm like, maybe I recorded only seven. And then I went and checked, and no, there were nine recordings. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I guess I did. <laughs> Whatever. Ah. But the, the fun thing there is, when you have a group project like that, especially even more than me and me and a guest breaking down a movie minute by minute, as we will eventually, ostensibly, probably be doing in this show, is you get an idea of how different people not just interpret a movie, but how they interact with a film, how they take a film into themselves when they see it, or take a scene into themselves when they see it, what it means in their life. Um, I teach interpersonal communication occasionally. Part of that is like how you get your self-concept from what other people say about you and how the world, what the world says about what you're supposed to be and all this other stuff, like social pressures, things like that. And movies work the same way. Like each of us see a movie in a different way. Like there are people who think Joker was the greatest film last year. I hated it. I think it was well made. I just hate it. And if I ever edit my, either of my reviews of it, you might hear why I hate it specifically over at uh, Mandalorian Time Machine, but I kind of abandoned that show several months back. Because I forgot to put a schedule on it, I didn't force myself to do episodes, and it didn't work. I learned when I was doing the Groundhog Day project, which I'm about to read you something from, that I am better on a schedule. When I had a sort of movie review blog, and I would just review a movie occasionally, it got so that they got farther and farther apart. And that's sort of what Mandalorian Time Machine was. It had room for more than just reviews, but mm, there was no schedule to it. Groundhog Day project was every day. Initially, it was going to be, I'll just make it at least six months and I make it to the holidays. I started in August. Pretty quickly, I'm like, I'm committing to a year. 365 days watching the same movie every day, writing about it. And then as I got near the end, I didn't want to stop writing. So I decided, rather than start a new blog, I'd continue the same blog, but it'd be different movies. And so at first I did themed weeks. Uh, it was the first month. The first month was things involving the number seven, actually, I think. I don't remember what the theme was. No, it was horror films, but I started with The Ring because of the seven-day reference. And it was a week of that, then a week of Sixth Sense, a week of some Blair Witch, a week of... I forget what the fourth one was. And then I'd watch Groundhog Day and sort of connect it back to the four films. And then I did a month of romantic comedies. That was, uh, I forget the order, but it was Moonstruck, The Mirror's Two Faces, Pretty Woman, and When Harry Met Sally. And then I came back to Groundhog Day and compared it to those four. I do a month of different kinds of movies, and then come back to Groundhog Day once a month. And I kept doing it. And day 1,000 of the blog, it was starting to turn into... I was finishing grad school and thinking I should move on to something else. I already started my YouTube reviews, which now don't happen anymore. And day 1,000 just happened to coincide with the day I was turning in the draft of my master's thesis, which was about the creation of self on the internet using Groundhog Day Project, the first year of it, as a through line to explain what I was talking about. So it felt like a nice stopping point. It stopped. But then I missed it. And a year later, 
I picked up exactly where I was, the same movie I'd watched that last day, which was High Fidelity, and I picked up with High Fidelity, and then High Fidelity, and continued for another year. So 1,365 entries, averaging somewhere over 1,400 words each about movies. What I'm about to read is, because I was thinking about it because of our different experiences with looking at North by Northwest, in particular with Hitchcock Minute, but also my own projects, with Annihilation Minute, The Room Minute, Dave Made a Minute, Michael Myers Minute, Mandy Sucks Minute, is uh, we all have different perspectives, and this made me think of this particular thing that I kept coming back to at the Groundhog Day Project. So this is day 173, Tuesday, January 21st, 2014. The title, Who Dreams of You at Night? Now the piece referenced in the opening sentence by Banesh is a doctoral dissertation entitled Becoming Punxsutawney Phil, Symbols and Metaphors of Transformation in Groundhog Day. Um, I actually, over the course of several entries, many, many entries, systematically went through her entire dissertation, critiquing her approach to the film. And she actually... F- discovered this on and contacted she contact me or i contact her so who talks first you talk first i talk first she contacted me through linkedin i think it was and i'm like i have said some bad things about what you, you wrote like i was up front i've disagreed with you and she's like who cares you read it no one reads dissertations <laughs> she was so excited i'm like okay anyway quote Banesh 2011 relies on John Izod's 2000 Journal of Analytical Psychology essay, Active Imagination in the Analysis of Film, in linking the viewing of film to the process of dreaming. Izod's original piece is interesting that he argues, screened fiction has the potential to help individuals grow in self-awareness because experience and effects aroused by fictions can resemble being drawn into a rehearsal for a possible imagined future that just might, but more likely never will, occur in the individual's life in the real world. Page 267. The interesting thing here is that Izod's description here implies that dreams lead to self-awareness. I like the idea of that. Maybe it seems obvious, but of course there's still the possibility that dreams are simply the random firing of synapses as the body shuts down and lets the mind have some fun. But even if, and I'd wager that as a big if, dreams are random, the specific contents still have to come from the material we've got stored away in our brains. So there would have to be something in each dream that would link at least indirectly to who and what we are. I've actually cited Izod through Banesh before, quoting the following. For viewers, no less than for Phil, an imprint remains as during the film the audience members introject or take in its psychic content, including symbols, images, and narrative, as well as projecting individual personal concerns. After the film, if it is particularly resonant, the process continues as the film plays on in the viewer's mind. A personal edition of the film is thus created and is assimilated into the psyche of the viewer. Banesh, 2011, page 8. Izod specifically suggests, A lowering of the level of consciousness is experienced in the dark warmth and security of the cinema as it unreels its manifold diversions. Its sumptuous images and sounds, its compelling characters and stories, arouse many emotions and stir drives of which the individual may be unconscious. Because of the fictionality of their object, whatever the specific nature of these emotions, fear, anger, desire, wonder, horror, they are usually experienced as virtual rather than actual and therefore, ultimately, as pleasurable. Izod, 2000, page 272. I don't know if the reality of this notion, that we experience film as we do dreams, is accurate, but it seems a reasonable metaphor. A great film will certainly play back in our heads afterward. Groundhog Day certainly does for me. Izod suggests, full engagement with a symbolic film has no less potential than to change individuals' consciousness. 
It can alter the way they feel and think about themselves or the world. Page 274. And I would say, not just because I sprinkle my everyday conversation with lines from the film. Oh, he wasn't specifically referring to me. Really, though, I don't do that. Well, I don't do that much more than I used to. I, and a couple of my sisters, have had a habit since as long as I can remember of quoting movies in regular conversation. But let's not get sidetracked by that. Isaac quotes Jung in defining the visionary text, which I would argue Groundhog Day is one. Jung says, It can be a revelation whose heights and depths are beyond our fathoming, or a vision of beauty that we can never put into words. Most works of art never rend the curtain that veils the cosmos. They do not exceed the bounds of our human capacities. But the primordial experiences rend from top to bottom the curtain upon which is painted the picture of an ordered world, and allow a glimpse into the unfathomable abyss of the unborn and of things yet to be. Eyes on 2000, page 276, citing Young, 1950, paragraph 141. Groundhog Day does, indeed, rend the curtain that veils the cosmos, I would say. Which is interesting because I was asked a few nights ago, why Groundhog Day? Followed by a line implying it's a film with no depth. And people who don't read this blog regularly ask me, of course, what I write about. Clearly, they haven't done what Izod suggests we all do, and certainly not consciously. They haven't re-examined the film in their heads. If you are one of those people, I would recommend that you do think about film after you watch it, and not just this film. Citing Hillman 199, Izod tells us, What Hillman advocates is naked, emotionally unguarded self-exposure to the symbol, which should be encountered and watched as if it were alive, almost like a person. Isaiah 2000, page 280. Banesh says the next step, after one has built the personal edition of a film in one's head, is to watch the movie again, comparing that imagined text with the original text to see what is legitimate and what must be discarded. Page 63. And i got to interrupt the original block entry here because I'm not sure you should necessarily discard any of it. But back to the quote. Since I've already touched on Young today, I suppose now is as good a time as any to bring back Nietzsche. Specifically, I'd cite his notion of eternal recurrence covered in this blog on Day 39, Day 40, and Day 41. What Banesh, by way of Izod, is suggesting a researcher do with a text, in this instance, a film, is what Nietzsche might say we should all do with our lives every day. Life shouldn't be some passive thing we let happen around us, nor really should the viewing of film be. Every act should be deliberate, every act as revealing of ourself as our dreams may be. That isn't to say that all acts will end up being good, of course. Being deliberate does not mean we will never make mistakes or do regrettable things. But at least, if we are deliberate in the doing, we can also be deliberate in making amends if it comes to that. I will end today by suggesting that there is a song missing from Groundhog Day. Row, row, row your boat. Today's reason to repeat a day forever, to dream, and to live, and know that everything I do is a reality that continues on, even if I do not. End quote. So, hop on over to Hitchcock Minute, listen to me when I've been drinking, and come back here next week I'll have a little more for you in this diversion. Thank you for listening. This has been Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cock Bull Minute, or find us in the Facebook listeners group, Cock and Bull Pub. Find more content at lemmingdrops.com.